just a few weeks, um, I'm going to turn 36. And in 36 years of life, I have faced loss. I have faced serious personal illness. I have faced grief. I have faced heartbreak. I have faced depression. I have faced the slander and the betrayal of my closest friends. And never one time in 36 years has the Lord failed to be good to me. He has never failed to be good to me. And so even even as you celebrate that this morning and as we give him praise this morning, I just wonder if your testimony today is that in spite of everything the world has thrown at you and life has thrown at you, if your testimony this morning is that the Lord has not failed to be good to you, why don't you let him know you're thankful by lifting up praise in this place today. Thank you, Lord, for being good to us. We thank him for being good to us. So Father, we thank you because you have never failed to be good. In the worst of what life can throw at us, in the worst of what this world can throw at us, you have never ceased to show us your goodness. You are sovereign over all things and you take what the enemy even means for evil and you turn it for our good. And so Father, this morning as we open your word, And we consider what it means to count it all joy when we meet the trial, when we face the tribulation, when we're going through the fire. Help us to see today that in those moments, the worst of our moments, we don't have to look far to find you because you're with us. You do not leave us. You do not forsake us. You are with us in all moments and in all things. So Father, show us your goodness again today. Show us your goodness again today. And as we're being forged in the fire, help us to see even in the midst of the trial that you are good. So Father, will you speak to us words this morning that will edify your church and bring glory to your name. Sanctify us in the truth of your word. Your word is truth. Speak it to our hearts now. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. And if you're not there already, I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles this morning. James chapter one is where we're going to spend our time together this morning, looking at verses two through four. If you're new with us, if today is your first time with us, last week we kicked off a message series in the book of James um, that Lord willing is going to take us all the way to Christmas Eve morning. This is what we're going to spend the fall studying together as a church family. So James chapter one, verses two through four. And just to give us a little bit of context from where um, we picked up last week. Uh, James is one of seven what we call general letters that are written in the New Testament. And in the way that the Apostle Paul's letters were written to specific people or specific churches and first sent to those churches before they were dispersed to others, the book of James was written really as an all call to all believers who were in different parts of the world. James's primary audience is believers who have been scattered as the result of persecution and opposition that they face 
as followers of Jesus Christ. And last week, we spent an entire sermon just on James chapter one, verse one, because we saw last week, if you miss the point of the first verse of James, you will miss the point of the rest of the book. What we saw last week is that everything we do for Christ begins with who we are in Christ. And so we saw two beautiful truths last week, one being that we are servants of God. We are servants of Jesus Christ. We do not belong to ourselves. We belong to him. We are servants of God. We belong to Jesus. And this world is not our home. We are exiles. We are strangers. We are foreigners who are navigating the trials and tribulations of this world in our primary identity as followers of Jesus Christ. And and I wanna remind us of that this morning because unless we root these next few verses in who we are in Jesus Christ, if you miss the point of verse one, what we look at in verses two through four this morning is going to feel impossible. James 1, 2 through 4, this is simultaneously one of the most hopeful and one of the hardest passages of Scripture that we can look at as brothers and sisters in Christ. Because what James shows us in these few verses is that as followers of Jesus, we can expect trials to come. We can expect difficulty to come. We can expect pain and suffering to come. And what James calls us to do in James 1, 2 is to count it all joy when we face trials of various kinds. Church, we live in a fallen world that is full of suffering as a result of sin. And you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, are not going to be exempt from that experience of suffering. This past week, I read this really powerful testimony of, uh, of a woman named Mesa who had grown up in a predominantly Muslim country and, and particularly in a radical expression of Islam where converting to any other religion is met with extraordinary hostility. But just kind of behind the scenes, there was someone close to her who was a follower of Jesus and had spent about a year discipling her and she professes faith in Jesus Christ. And then she made the decision to go back home and, and share this information with the members of her family. And when her brothers learned of her newfound faith in Jesus, they responded by taking a knife and mutilating her face beyond recognition. They beat her to the point of complete unconsciousness. They locked her in a room and they practically starved her over a period of several weeks. And so her friend who had led her to faith in Jesus knew about her circumstances and actually had had orchestrated some events that was gonna make it possible for her to be able to get out of this environment, to be rescued from this so that she could be protected and she could be kept safe. But when she had the opportunity to be rescued from this hostility, she decided to stay in the home. And she felt it her personal responsibility to take this good news of the gospel that she had received and responded to and show the love of Jesus Christ even in the most heinous pain and suffering from members of her own family. And when she gave her testimony about why it is she decided to stay, this was her response. She responded, Jesus has a hold on me and he will never let me go. What we're gonna see this morning in James 1 is that you and I can face every trial with Jesus, with, excuse me, with joy, because we face every trial with Jesus. We can face every trial with joy because we face every trial with Jesus. James 1 is hard because it tells us we're going to face trials, but James 1 is hopeful because it reminds us that no matter what trial we face, we do not face the trial alone. We can trust that God is always with us, regardless of the circumstances that we endure. So from James 1, let's read together verses 2 and 3. James writes, count it 
all joy. Everybody say all joy. Not count it some joy. Not count it a little bit of joy. Not count it partially joy. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know, you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. As followers of Jesus Christ, we will meet trials of various kinds. And what James shows us in these few verses this morning are two choices that you and I can make when we face the trial. First choice James shows in verse two and three is that we can choose joy as we are being tested. Choose joy as you are being tested. Count it all joy, James writes, when It's not an if, it's a when. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. I wanna draw a really important distinction that really sets up the rest of chapter one for us over the next few weeks. In the New Testament, the word trial can either refer to the internal temptation that we face to be drawn into sin, or it can refer to external opposition that we face as followers of Jesus, seasons and periods of testing. Now, further down in chapter one, James does go on to address the temptation to sin, but what he's primarily addressing here is the opposition that you and I will inevitably face as followers of Jesus that will grow and test and stretch our faith. This word testing that we see in verse three, it's a really rare word in the Bible. If you uh, go to the Greek, to the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament, this word for testing is only used a couple times in the Septuagint. Uh, Psalm 12, Psalm chapter 27, and even in the New Testament, it's only used one time in 1 Peter chapter one. And here's how Peter uses this word testing in 1 Peter one that helps us shed light on what it is that James is getting at here in James one. Peter writes 1 Peter one, six and seven, In this you rejoice, though now for a while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ." Every time this word testing is used in the Septuagint or used in the New Testament, it's always associated with the work of silver and gold going through the process of refining fire. So in the same way that precious metals are forged with fire, fire purifies by melting away all of the impure substances, but it also strengthens the pure substance of the silver or the gold. So in the exact same way that silver and gold are refined by fire, what James is showing us here is that followers of Jesus Christ will experience times of testing that both purify and strengthen our faith. You know, one of the the worst expressions of Christianity that just continues to be perpetuated in our culture today is the message of what is known as the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. The lie that's perpetuated is that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you will never experience sickness. God intends for you to have a prosperous life of rich material gain where you really won't experience any uh, type of struggle. One of the greatest perpetuators of, of this nonsense is a prosperity preacher named Jesse DePlantis. He's very widely known throughout the nation. And there's this really popular clip of him that floats around very often on social media, kind of talking about as followers of Jesus Christ, what we should expect. And so he goes on to say how, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you know, he just decided one day we're not going to be sick anymore. And how a family member came to him and said, hey, we've we've noticed that you've really never been sick. And he responded to them, well, we tried sick, but we didn't like it. 
He goes on to boast about how being a preacher of the gospel has brought him the largest house in the state of Louisiana, over 40,000 square feet that he paid for in cash. Now, he had the largest house of any preacher in America. He's telling his congregation, hey, this is what you should expect as a follower of Jesus. You're not going to have trial. You're going to have riches. You're going to have material wealth and gain, and we're never going to face any type of opposition. And, and, And what I wish the people who preach this crap nonsense would do is actually open up their Bible and read what it says. Because what James does in one verse here is he drops an atomic bomb on the prosperity gospel. Count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. Not if you face trials of various kinds. Count it all joy when. Church, think about this for just a second this morning. If God intended for every follower of Jesus Christ to only know a life of physical health and material prosperity, it means he absolutely hated every believer in the New Testament. It's nonsense. And this just continues to be perpetuated today. As followers of Jesus Christ, nowhere in the New Testament are we promised that we're going to be spared from the suffering of this world. We're promised the opposite. We will face periods of external opposition that will melt away our confidence, melt away our pride, melt away our self-sufficiency, and they will strengthen our faith in the sovereignty of God and our trust in Jesus Christ. We will meet trials of various kinds. We will meet trials of sickness. We will meet trials of death. We will meet trials of personal injury. We will meet trials of financial stress. We will meet trials of relational strife. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you will meet trials of opposition and persecution from this world. That's exactly the audience that James is writing to here. We will meet trials that will consume every waking moment of our days and our nights and disorient us to the place that we do not know up from down and left from right. Our faith is gonna be forged and refined by fire. It's going to be forged and refined by fire. And when it is, the instruction James gives us is to count it all joy. Count it all joy. Let's pause here for just a second, make sure we understand what this does not mean. Count it all joy does not mean that the trial we face is going to feel enjoyable. Count it all joy does not mean the trial we face is going to feel enjoyable. Let's just be completely honest this morning. When we're going through the fire, it doesn't feel like a blessing. It feels like we're burning. It hurts. It's painful. It's not easy. It's difficult. When the Lord peels away our self-sufficiency and he peels away our trust in material things and, and we face the backlash and the opposition of this world, it does not feel comfortable. And so let's make sure again, we understand what James does not mean this morning. Count it all joy does not mean learn to fake smile. That is not what James is after here. We are not after a superficial fleeting happiness that is contingent on our immediate circumstances in the here and now. What we are after is an eternal perspective that anchors our hope and our trust in a God who is sovereign over all things and is in control even of the very worst things that happen to us who can lead us through these things, who can sustain us through these things, who's going to bring us out stronger on the other side. Count it all joy does not mean learn to fake smile. It means to play the long game. It means to have an eternal perspective. But let's just be honest again. This is much easier said than done, right? 1900s church generation, like it's so easy for us to slap on the Twilight Paris bumper sticker. God is in control, right? Like we're, everything's good. 
It's fine. Like we just kind of put on the face and we just kind of grin and bear it. And we just decide we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to power through this thing. Let, let's just be honest. Like when we're going through this, when, when we understand that God is sovereign over all things, what we're feeling in that moment not necess- isn't necessarily what is happening to me. That What we're really asking in that moment is why is this happening to me? I mean, I mean if God has the power over this, then why am I in it? Why, why, why am I feeling this? And, and listen, this is not where, where James goes. You know, historically, uh, there's a much longer theological, philosophical answer to this. Um, Christians have historically embraced what is known as a greater good theodicy. Theodicy coming from the Greek words for God and just. And what we intend by that is that there is a God who is sovereign over all things, and he intends to bring about a greater good, even through the difficulties that we work through. And that's, that's part of how we navigate the problem of evil and the presence of pain and suffering in our lives. But James does not attempt to answer the question to the problem of evil and suffering with a long theological philosophical answer. He, he actually just appeals to what we know. He says, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Why? For you know. You know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. You know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. James doesn't try to give a long theological, kind of Apostle Paul philosophical answer. He he just gives a very practical answer. He appeals to our human experience and reason. What James is appealing to here is he says, listen, you know that it's good and right and true that there be times where we go through periods of testing. You know that it's good at times to be pushed. You know that it's good at times that we face challenges because those challenges ultimately make us stronger. So, so man, if, if you are one of those people, like maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, or if you really struggle to reconcile this idea of a God who permits evil in order to bring about greater good, if, if that's you, I, I wanna give you permission to put all that to the side for just a second. Like if you really struggle to believe that and to understand that, put, put theology, put philosophy over to the side for just a moment. Let, let's just talk about this on a practical human level. James appeals to what we know. We know that it's good to go through periods of testing. But let, let's not let the metaphor be lost on us this morning. We, we are five minutes away from Paris Island. And what do they make at Paris Island? They make Marines, right? They make Marines. And we know in our Human experience, apart from all this, we know that it is good, right, and true for them to go through periods of serious testing. I mean, that's part of the pride of being a Marine, right? Like you made it through the recruit training. You made it through the the swarm of drill instructors who are constantly breaking you down to build you back up. We know it's good for new Marine recruits to culminate all their training in an event called the crucible, where they can be tested, we can be tried, because, man, Marines, they're gonna be the first to fight when everything goes wrong, right? And I don't know about you, I don't want the guy going over there who's only ever played Call of Duty. Like, I wanna know, he's been tested. He's been ready. Like, he, he knows, like, he's not just used a video game controller, he's picked up that rifle before. He knows how to engage this. We know that that's good for them to go through that period of testing. We know that it's good for doctors before they operate on us. Man, I hope they had some all-nighters in college. I hope it was hard. If we're just being honest, I hope he's already made some mistakes so that I'm not his mistake. I hope that he's been forged by the fire. We know it's good for silver to be refined. We know that it's good for gold to be refined. We know that it's good for testing to happen until the testing comes to us. And all of a sudden, it's bad. And why would God allow this? Guys, we know it's good to be tested. 
We know it's good to be pushed. We know that it's good to be stretched so that we can grow in our faith. That this is what Jesus told his disciples to expect. Last year, we spent almost six months studying the Sermon on the Mount. And, and this is what Jesus says about the pushback of the world in Matthew 5 and what our response to it should be. He said, blessed are you when. You should expect this. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you. Listen, falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. It's a call to play the long game. It's a call to keep an eternal perspective for so they persecuted the prophets who were for you. Church, please don't miss this this morning. Our God is a loving parent. He is a loving father, but he is not a helicopter parent. He's gonna let you go for the fire. He's going to let you meet the trial, but listen, he does not do it to punish you. He does it to perfect you. This is what James goes on to say in verse four. He says, and let, everybody say let. Let steadfastness, let endurance, let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So two choices when we're being forged in the fire. One, choose joy as you are being tested. Second, James shows us in verse four, choose endurance as you are being perfected. Choose joy as you are being tested. Choose endurance as you're being perfected. Let steadfastness, let endurance have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You know, oftentimes uh, critical Bible scholars criticize the book of James as not having any sort of like formal or set structure. James, in a lot of ways, like if you're familiar with your Bible, it almost kind of reads like the book of Proverbs. And in fact, it's sometimes it's called the Proverbs of the New Testament because like in chapter one, I think we're doing like five or six sermons just on chapter one alone, because it seems like he kind of jumps from one subject to the next. But if you look at James... In the larger arc of scripture, you see that it's got a really important place. Uh, you, you could almost look at the book of James as being a commentary on Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. Again, we studied the Sermon on the Mount for several months last year, and, and, and John Stott called the Sermon on the Mount a manifesto for the Christian life. Um, what Jesus lays out in Matthew chapters five through seven is a picture of who we are called to be as followers of Jesus Christ. So where Jesus focuses a little bit more on who we're called to be, uh, James focuses more on the practical level of how we are called to live. So again, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus kind of lays out the what, and a lot of what James is doing in the book of James is laying out the how. I would really just encourage you while we're early in this series, spend an hour at some point in time, read the Sermon on the Mount, and then immediately go read the book of James, and you'll see all these similarities. And we especially see that similarity this morning. We already saw one. Jesus gives a picture of how we're supposed to respond when we face opposition and persecution. So here's James writing to a group of believers who are facing opposition and persecution. And what does he tell them to do? He tells them to do what Jesus said to do, to rejoice. Count it all joy. Consider this joy. Think of this as joy. Deem it as joy. When you go through these trials of various kinds, And he tells them that the testing of their faith produces endurance and that endurance will then lead to our completion and perfection. The trial is a test. The testing produces endurance and the full effect of endurance is perfection. 
And where else do we see Jesus use the language of perfection? Once again, the Sermon on the Mount. The end of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus lays out what is for us as followers of Christ maybe the most difficult test of all, and it's the test of love. He tells those who were listening to him, he said, hey, you've heard it said. Your religious leaders have said, you can love your neighbor, but you can hate your enemy. And he lays out a new way. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for your persecutors. Just think about being these first century believers. They've been dispersed from their homes. Being a follower of Jesus Christ has invited opposition. It's invited displacement. It's invited persecution. And what does the word of God call them to do? What did the message of Jesus call them to do? To rejoice, to count it all joy, and to pray for the people who did these things to them. This is the true test of our faith. The true test of our faith isn't whether or not we can love those who love us in return. The true test of our faith, the true test of gospel faith is if we can love people who hate us in return is if we can do what Jesus did, which was, to, which was to, to receive the false accusations of the world, to receive the slander and the pushback of the world, to receive an unjust death at the hands of the world. And yet not one time, scripture says, did he open his mouth. Not one time did he revile in return or slander in return or give pushback in return. Instead, from that cross, what did he do? He loved his enemies and he prayed for his persecutors. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. You and I are, are going to face these moments. You and I are going to face tests and trials. And what they're going to do, they're not, the trials aren't going to create faith. What they're going to do is they're going to test the faith that's actually there. And, and, and as we go through the trial, the old self is slowly going to be burned away. Our self-sufficiency, our pride, our insensitivity, our oversensitivity, all of this is going to be completely burned away by the difficulties that we face. And God is going to strengthen and reinforce a true and pure faith that's already there. You know, there's a lot of uh, talk right now, uh, particularly culturally, about how the church in America is dying. Church, I hope you understand that that's a false narrative. The church of Jesus Christ is never dying. What's happening in our nation right now is the church of Jesus Christ is being refined. All of the impurities being burned away. And something much stronger, I've never been more optimistic and hopeful for the potential of revival in our nation than I am right now. I have such extraordinary hope that this is the moment that man, God is just gonna break through and something much stronger is going to come out on the other side. We know that it's good to grow through, go through seasons of growth that stretch us and push us and make us stronger on the other side. Um, again, mentioned a little bit ago, I'll, I'll be 36 here in a few weeks. And so uh, I'm still very much young. You know, I, I don't want to think of myself as getting older. I, I think I, I'm a big fan of, you know, 30s, the new 60 or whatever it is, or 60s, the new 30, whatever it is we're saying now. And, and, and so, but at the same time, you know, 36, when we round up to the next decade, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like on that, like that 40 downslope now. And I'm, I'm not really feeling that, if I'm just being honest with you. Um, I, I just want to rebuke all that in the name of the Lord. Like, I don't want to get older Peter Pan, never want to grow up, all these things. And, you know, I grew up playing three sports, stayed in really good health, relatively good shape. And then, you know, 13 years ago, I get married and we start having kids. And, and I've mostly tried to stay on top of my physical health. You know, I'll, I'll exercise enough just to, to make sure I don't completely, you know, fall out of commission. Um, and, and again, I'm not getting older, but what I have definitely noticed as I've gotten to my mid-30s is my body's going through some stuff it's never gone through before. 
Um, last couple of years, I've developed the extraordinary superpower of injuring myself when I sleep, right? Like it's just wake up the next morning. Like I did nothing but sleep and I can't move my neck or my shoulder or, or my knee. Um, 10 years ago, man, if I ate an oatmeal cream pie, um, I had energy for the rest of the day. Now I want to take a nap. Like it's got a very opposite effect on me. And, and so I've listened to those who are a little further down the road from me. They're like, hey man, you got to get a handle on this now. You know, your, your body will start to, to depreciate like much more quickly than you can keep up with. And so um, I finally, I was like, okay, I need to get a lot more intentional about this. And a couple months back, I bought a weight system and it's in my garage. And early in the morning, man, I've been getting out there and sweating and, and getting after it. And, and I'll tell you what, you know, like I, I got into all of this and those first two weeks were brutal and humbling. Um, uh, several weeks ago, I did squats for the first time in 10 years. And when I woke up the next morning, there was legitimate concern. Maybe my hips had actually exploded. <laughs> like maybe they had just completely melted. Maybe they were gone. I'm like going up the stairs to get my boys that morning. And it looks like one of those movie montages when somebody's learning to walk again. You know, I'm like, all right, let's do this. Let's do this one at a time. It was humbling. It's humbling because what, what's happening to your muscles as you try to strengthen them? They're tearing. The tearing hurts. It's painful. But man, here I am several weeks later. You know, I did squats for the first time just a couple weeks ago where I didn't feel the next day like I was going to die. I actually felt pretty good. I was like, maybe I will go to the NFL, right? Like maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe there's a team needs a 36-year-old five foot nine, 160 pound wide receiver, right? Like, like maybe, maybe this is, is my chance. We know that if we're going to grow, we got to stretch. We know that if we're going to get stronger, the muscles have to tear. We, guys, we know this is good. We know that it's good. J James just appeals to what we know. You know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. It doesn't make it easy. It doesn't mean that we feel joy in the moment. It doesn't mean that we deny the reality of the circumstances around us, but what it does mean is we play the long game. We maintain an eternal perspective where we recognize, even if I can't see it, even if I can't feel it, and we probably won't feel it, even if I can't understand it, even if it creates doubt in my heart, I still want to raise my hands and sing of the goodness of the Lord and declare this, I know God is for me even when we can't see it, even when we can't understand it, and even when, when it defies reason and, and logic. Jesus gives us that impossible standard, Matthew 5, 48. You, you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Guys, we can't do this on our own. The good news of the gospel is Jesus has done it for us. And, and what you see here in, in Matthew 5, 48, it really is it's a picture of both our justification and our sanctification. And in justification, uh, we are perfected. Like if we're, we're declared righteous and innocent before God, like you die today, you stand before God, Jesus has declared you just righteous and innocent on behalf of what he's done at the cross. Salvation is a free gift that we receive by faith, not in our works, but in the works of Jesus. So that's justification. On the other side of that is sanctification. And sanctification is a picture that we are being perfected. And the way that we are being perfected in the day of day is we are walking through trials. We walk through challenges. We face tests and various trials that make us stronger as we come out on the other side. In the moment when you endure hatred and rejection in the same way these believers did, I think we understand in that moment, it's not going to feel like rejoicing, it's just going to feel like you're being rejected. It's just going to feel difficult. 
In the moment that we endure these things, what we do is we turn our eyes to Jesus. We look to the Jesus. We're being formed into the image of Jesus who faced the rejection of the world and the hatred and the opposition, and he did it all without sin. Church, Jesus faced the ultimate test. He lived the perfectly sinless life that you and I could not live ourselves. He he took our penalty and death. He went to the cross that you and I deserved. And enduring the greatest evil, he brought about the greatest good. Again, this is not really the point that James is making here this morning, but understand the cross of Jesus Christ is the answer to the problem of evil. God permitted the greatest evil, which was the death of his son, Jesus Christ, to bring about the greatest good, which was him receiving glory in the salvation of sinners. And because Jesus perfectly endured the test for us, you and I can endure the test that we face, trusting that he's using it to perfect us and make us more like him. We will meet trials of various kinds. We will meet tests. We will meet pain. We will meet suffering. You know, um, I've next year served the the local church in different capacities for for 20 years, going back to my first internship. And and, in serving in local church ministry, man, it is such a privilege to have a front row seat to, to just the celebration of new life in Jesus Christ and seeing people grow as disciples and followers of Jesus. And, and, and as difficult as it is, though, the most, the most beautiful pictures that I've seen, the things that have strengthened my faith the most over the last 20 years, it has been the testimony of brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ who have chosen to count it all joy when they were facing the worst that life had to offer. Uh, 15 years ago this past spring, my dad was diagnosed with cancer when he was only 46 years old. My dad was a big guy. He was a strong guy. And for the better part of the next few years before he passed away, I watched him physically deteriorate. Uh, My parents had been very financially responsible. Cancer just absolutely depleted them, cleaned them out, um, lost the home um, that I was raised in and that our family uh, had, had spent most of our life together in. I watched it crush him spiritually and emotionally and physically. And, and all throughout this journey with cancer, though, uh, what my dad would do is he was going out to MD Anderson and getting treatments there. And as he was getting updates, he had a lot of people around the country who were praying for him. So he would compose these email updates. And so he would give an update about his circumstances and sometimes really difficult to read in a grim picture. And at the end of every one of those emails, he would sign off in his grip, Tommy Burgess, Philippians 3.10. Let me just read Philippians 3.10 to you for just a moment. This is the perspective my dad chose to take. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And listen, and may share his sufferings. Why? Becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. He counted it all joy. It didn't feel like joy, but he counted it all as joy. And and I I have just watched brothers and sisters in Christ over the last two decades count it all joy in the worst of the worst moments. From from 2012, excuse me, summer of 2011 to 2014, I watched my, my precious wife miscarry three times. And man, she counted it all as joy. It didn't feel like joy, but she counted it as joy. I watched my dad through cancer count it all as joy. I've watched husbands and wives unexpectedly lose the other and count it all as joy. I've watched people unjustly lose their positions to false accusations and count it all 
his joy. And, and listen, I, I hear my heart this morning. I know where many of you are at with this. You, you hear language like choose joy. You hear language like choose endurance. You're like, Taylor, how? I wish I could choose joy. I wish I could choose endurance. I, I wish I wasn't crushed by this depression and this anxiety. I wish I could see hope in my immediate circumstances. I know you're feeling this. But in these moments, when, when we just, we can't manufacture the emotion, in these moments when we, when we can't bring ourselves to see, see the goodness of all this church, please do not miss this this morning. Learning to count it all joy does not mean choosing an emotion. It means choosing a person. Choosing joy means choosing Jesus. And in choosing Jesus, what you have is the wellspring of joy. You have the fullness of joy. In choosing Jesus, you chose the one who faced every trial perfectly. He perfectly endured. Hebrews chapter 12 says that Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. So brother, sister, I hear you this morning. You, you cannot just wake up probably and decide today, I'm just gonna be joyful. I'm going to endure. You may very well feel like you are being crushed by everything around you. But when the world is overcoming you, choose the one who's overcome the world. When you cannot rejoice, when you cannot feel it, when you cannot see it, when you struggle to choose joy, choose Jesus. And in choosing Jesus, you'll find your joy. He is the one who walks with us in all things. We can walk through every trial with joy because we walk through every trial with Jesus. We're in his grip. We're never alone. We pray with me as we close this morning. And before we, we prepare our hearts to partake of communion this morning, I just don't want this moment uh, to, to get lost on us. You know, I think if we just passed a microphone around this room this morning and we just asked everybody, hey, what are you going through? I bet we would hear some things we couldn't believe. That there are brothers and sisters in this room sitting to your left and to your right that are probably going through something that you can't even begin to imagine. And so I know we're all going through something probably that we could share. And again, I'm, I, nobody's gonna out you on this. I'm not asking you to stand up. I'm not gonna ask you to move around the room. That this is, I, I've asked everybody to bow their heads for now. That I'm the only person that's gonna see this right now. If, if you are here today and you feel like you are just in a unique season of trial, I mean, whether it's physical illness, it's serious financial stress, it's job pressure, you, you are facing unjust accusation and opposition, everybody's pushing back on you because you're just trying to follow Jesus. If you're just in a, what you feel like is a really unique season of trial this morning, would you just slip up your hand and keep it there for just a second if that's you? Yeah, men, everywhere. Just keep your hand up for a second because I, I, I just wanna pray for you guys here in just a moment. If your hand is up today, I really wanna encourage you, don't leave this room this morning when our service ends without meeting with a member of our prayer team. Man, don't carry that by yourself. That's why we're here. We have people who would love to pray for you and encourage you. Make sure that you know you're not alone in this. And not only are we with you in this, Jesus is with you in this. You don't have to look far for him. He's with you. He's not left you. 
And so if, if that was you, man, I just wanna pray over you for just a moment before we come and partake of the Lord's Supper. Father, I pray over each of these brothers and sisters who are in the fire right now. who are struggling to see the blessing because all they feel is the burning. And help them to know this morning that you are for them and not against them. That the trial is not to punish them, it is to perfect them. That the deeper the suffering we face here, the greater our rejoicing will be with you there. That you waste nothing that you take everything the enemy throws at us and tries to use for evil, you turn it for good and for the glory of your name. So for all of these today who struggle to choose joy, help them to choose Jesus. And in choosing Jesus, will you help them to count it all joy? 